welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Matthew chapter 6. This passage of Scripture is um, part of what many of you may know as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In chapters 5 through 7, you think I preach long. He preached chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. I know, I saw somebody's head look up and their thought was, but you're not Jesus. I heard, I heard that. It was in this area over here. Somebody lifted up. And, said, yeah. and that's fine. I had somebody tell me this week, they said, you're doing a great job. Those messages have been great. And then they qualified it. This is the God's honest truth. And they said, I mean, you're not perfect. <laughs> they said that to my face. <laughs> it was like they were building, the messages are great. God's doing a work in the church, but you're still, I mean, you're not perfect. It's like they thought, maybe the look on my face was, they thought what I heard was you're perfect. So they thought, let's bring him down a little. I said, you're right, I'm not. And I know that. But Jesus is preaching here, and it's really, I want you to, as best you can, imagine Jesus teaching. Not while I'm teaching, but imagine him teaching these words. We're just going to be in a few verses of Matthew chapter 6. But Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry. The Bible teaches that many followed him, not necessarily believing him. There were disciples and there were true Christ followers who bought his message, but there were at times hundreds, if not thousands of people following him around. If you were to go to the Holy Land today, they'll take you to a place and they'll point out some spots where potentially this happened based on the scriptures around it. What's really cool about it is they've done tests, and you, this is just for free. They've done sound and acoustics testing by the Sea of Galilee to where if Jesus would have been preaching like on the shore, looking up onto the hill, it almost made like God's amphitheater. And they've done acoustic testing to where um, you can almost whisper and hear it hundreds of yards away. And people are like, ah, there's, no, there's thousands of people around. And Jesus preaching a sermon, which probably all of us would listen if Jesus showed up today to preach. They're all listening. And in this sermon, one would surmise that he's going to teach the things we need to know. Now, I like to think, I mean, I like to listen to preachers that get wild and crazy and spit and slobber sometimes. And sometimes I don't. Sometimes I slobber. Sometimes I don't. And I think it's all right. I don't know that Jesus was beating his fist and pounding and screaming and yelling. But I can tell you they were all listening. And if Jesus were to teach today, parentheses, he is, we would listen. And this simple message within a message, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Now, if you've been here for 
the new year, we're going to be teaching and preaching on prayer. We did it last week, and I can say this in my complete understanding of imperfection. I have heard more positive response from last week than I have probably heard in six years of pastoring and preaching, which tells me people are getting help. Last week, we learned that we don't have to worry about anything because we can pray about everything. And I want to tell you, I, I'm, I told our staff this week, I met with the pastoral staff on Thursday afternoon after our staff meeting on Tuesday, and I'm very careful to say this out loud, especially when the world can watch it. But being the pastor of this church going on six years and being a part of this church going on 18 years, I don't know if um, I'm that in tune or not, but I believe God wants to do something in our church. I know he wants to do something individually. I know he wants to do something in every church, and I know he wants to do something in this country. But I believe... God may be getting us ready, either, either individually or as a church, for something. Now, you may have a question, well, what is that something? And that's where my knowledge is exhausted. I don't know. But at minimum, I know God wants us individually as Christians to be ready for whatever happens in our life. And I could give vivid examples. You could think, you never know the day you're going to get the phone call. You never know the doctor's appointment. When that news or the worst possible news is given to you. But what you can be assured of and what I can be assured of is that we have a relationship with God where he will provide what we need to get through it. And so at minimum, I know that God wants every believer to be ready for the news of tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen in this country. So I, and I understand when I say country, about half of you want me to go on for the next 30 minutes and half of you want me to shut up and not talk about it. I understand that. Maybe, maybe it's 70-30. I don't know. But only God knows what's going to happen in the United States of America in 2024. Now, I don't know if you care or if you keep up with it, but I think we'll see some things we haven't seen in our country in this election year. I think we're seeing some things. And maybe God's preparing us as a people, as a Christian, as a church for what's going to happen. And that may mean absolutely nothing to you or that may get your attention. It's gotten my attention, I promise you. And so today we see Jesus sitting at the, or standing on the bank of the Sea of Galilee. And he is the one everybody wants to hear from. And he teaches probably one of the most simple sermonettes within this sermon on prayer that I hope we never overlook. And I want this sermon to be very simple and very applicable to every individual Christian in regards to our prayer life. So now we're ready to read, right? Let's stand as we honor God's perfect word. These are the words of Jesus himself in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. 
Now he's taught about giving. There's some parallels about giving in verses one through five, one through four. And then in verse five he says, and when you pray, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets. Why? That they may be seen of men. Truly, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. We'll talk about that briefly. But you, but thou, when you pray, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which sees in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not, don't use vain repetitions, as the heathen do. Oh, that's, I gotta take a quick time out. Not everybody listening to this sermon are disciples of Christ. Now, as a, as a preacher, and as someone who likes the Bible, but also likes a little sarcasm and some jabs every now and then, I can't miss that there are some hypocrites in the crowd, and Jesus is calling them out. I love that. If I could only do it the way Jesus did and not the way Dean does, I would be so much happier. Don't do it like these heathen, for they think that they shall be heard with their much speaking. Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask them. Now for some of you, you're going to take a little nap after this. So I'm gonna, this is your sermon sentence for today. And then you can doze off. Don't be like them, Christian, for your father knows the things you need before you even ask them. He knows us. He loves us. He cares about us, our every need. Father, thank you for your word. I pray it is beneficial for every Christian in this room that we continue to be or become men and women of prayer. So simple, but so profound. Help us make application in our heart and life, and not just be hearers of your word, but be doers. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. The word of God is very clear that we should be men and women of prayer. I actually, because I'm a little analytical, I looked up the word pray in the Greek to find out what it meant, and you'll be surprised to know it means to pray. <laughs> that doesn't help me out. I was looking for something a little better. The word pray in the Greek actually really is um, equal to to worship. And I think it's important for us to understand that when we pray, we are worshiping God. I, I'm, I said a quote years and years ago, and it's somewhere in my notes, that prayer is the most simple manifestation of our faith. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that. That we pray, that when we pray, we are manifesting our faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I, I, could, I could talk a while about my inner workings of my mind. And you would either be fascinated or say, I'm never going back, that guy's crazy. 
But this really will apply to where we're headed and how Jesus commands us or teaches us to pray. Later we'll see praying without distractions. One of the problems for some of us is we don't know how to get rid of the distractions that are already up there. Can I sit on the couch and bear my burdens with you real quick? No. But praying is an act of worship and it's, in my opinion, one of the most simplest ways to demonstrate your faith, that we would, whether eyes closed, heads bowed, or riding down the road in our car, or sitting um, in the recliner, or whatever, that we can and we are talking to a God we've never seen, and believing that he'll hear us. What kind of faith is that? It's believing without seeing. It's trusting, not the word of the pastor or the church or the Baptist, but the word of God that he tells us to come boldly before him. Not because of how good we are or how perfect we might be, but because of what he has done for us that we can, by faith, call on him and know he'll hear us, and he will respond. This is not the message of God always answers prayers, yes, no, or maybe wait, and all that. That's not that message. But it's a manifestation of our faith. I was, I was reading a story about a man who was praying, and he asked God uh, while he was praying, and, and I, I related to this story because I, sometimes I'm praying, and then I'll start just talking crazy to God, I guess. And um, this man's praying, and he in his prayer, he asked God, he says, God, how, how long uh, is a million years to you? And God says, one second. And then he says, well, how much money is a million dollars to you? And God says, a penny. And the man prays on, and later he says, God, I, I pray, will you give me a penny? And God responds and says, absolutely, just give me a second. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had the... That back and forth with God. Some will, some will need help at lunch figuring that out, but help them out. What we do know about prayer is that we are to pray without ceasing. We're to be in a constant state of prayer, which means that we can be praying while we're walking and talking and working. And God here teaches, Jesus teaches, that we should be praying and I think about this practically as a church and discipleship, which is part of the Great Commission, that we teach people to pray. And Jesus understood that, and he taught us to pray. Because surely there would be someone who's got a, a mind like mine, like, God, it kind of, will you kind of, like Jesus on the side, will you please tell me how to pray? Or will you at least tell me what praying means? And Jesus would say, well, in the Aramaic or the Greek, it means to pray. And here's what I want you to understand and what we need to understand, and I talked about this a little bit last week, is in its most simplest form, we need to be communicating with God always, even about the little things. Because, as we said last week, are there any big things to God? He wants us talking to him. Billy Graham said that prayer is the Christian's greatest weapon. Do we need any weapons? Oh, yeah. 
And as a Christian, we're in a war, we're a Christian soldier, we're fighting an enemy, and we need some weapons. And he said, and I think he probably deserves a little bit of credit in what he says, that prayer is our greatest weapon. In this passage, Jesus, on the shore, listening, with the people listening, says, I'm going to teach you guys how to pray. Now, just for expositional and um, contextual references, verses one through four, he teaches them how to give. And there are a lot of similarities in uh, and parallels in giving and praying, but we're just to talk about the praying today. First of all, Jesus teaches us how not to pray. I thought about that, and how many times in my life I've told somebody that I learned how not to do something from somebody. And Jesus first calls out, here's how you don't pray. In verse five, the first part, he says, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be like a hypocrite. Now we all, if we've grown up in church at any time, we've probably heard the definition of a hypocrite. And, and the, real, the word here is actually pretender. Now our associate pastor, I hadn't forgot, told us last week that we're all hypocrites. I'm a little offended by it, to be quite honest with you. He looked at us real stern, he's like, Man, you're all hypocrites. Like, what? Still haven't figured that one out, but I guess we are. But Jesus calls out the pretenders. They're putting on a show. Later he calls them heathen, uh, pagans. The word there is Gentile because he's talking, he's just before, before Paul. And basically they understand what he's saying is don't be like the pretenders. And I still love the fact that there's some pretenders in the crowd that he's about to talk to. And there's two things I want us to look about this uh, the reality of how not to pray, and, and these are real simple, and um, you got to pay attention. First of all, he says in the second part of verse 5, don't pray publicly. Now, some of you, if I just stop there, you're like, thank the Lord. <laughs> I'm so glad that's in Scripture. And um, you never want to be called on publicly to pray, and we understand that. But this does not mean that we never pray publicly. I gotta get that out of the way. And I can't, I've been going to church here too long. Some of you will appreciate this. I cannot ever forget a man who was really humble and really shy and really introverted, but he was an usher one time in this church. You know where I'm going? And back in the days when we used to follow 1 Corinthians and we got in a semicircle, that was a joke, with the offering plate, and um, our former pastor um, would just call on people every now and then for random, and I have learned how not to do some things, and I'm never gonna ask somebody to come up and pray that I haven't said beforehand, hey, you good to come pray? I've always done that. Uh, unless they're a preacher, and then they ought to be ready. But, randomly, the pastor says, brother such and such, pray for us. Now, I don't know why he thought that man would wanna pray out loud, because he knew that man. But the man holding his offering plate looked up and went. <laughs> In service, I remember it. It's like, good job. He had read Matthew 6. This does not mean not to pray publicly. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians and Acts, and even in the Old Testament, there were public um, prayers that were prayed out loud. And it should be. It should happen. What he's doing is not condemning 
the public prayer so much as the attitude of the public prayer, the why behind their public prayers. Warren Wiersbe said it's, it's wrong to pray in public if we're not praying in private. And so he says don't pray publicly, but he says don't pray proudly. That was really the problem. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets. Why? That they may be seen of men. Jesus called these guys out. By teaching us how to pray and the real disciples, he calls out the ones that are the pretenders. And I think they probably knew who they were. They were praying publicly, standing in the synagogues, on the streets, for one purpose, not to be heard of God, not to get prayers answered, but to be seen of men. I don't know that anybody would ever do it, but I think it's probably happened a time or two in church where maybe someone unlike this usher is like, oh, I hope he calls on me because I got a good one today. (laughs) And this is exactly what Jesus is condemning. Jesus gave a parable in Luke chapter 18, which really covers this. In Luke 18, verses nine through 14, listen to what Jesus says when he's teaching his disciples. Um, It's about prayer, but it's also really about pride and arrogance. And he spoke this parable unto certain, which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And he said, two men went up to the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Not Republican, but a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, within himself. And this is what he did. He stood up and he prayed. Y'all know this, right? God, I thank you that I'm not like this guy. I'm not like the other men. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust or an adulterer. Even as this publican, fast twice a week, I give tithes all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth humbleth himself shall be exalted. The first lesson Jesus teaches is how not to pray. We're not to pray publicly just so everybody hears us and thinks something about us, because I think just like Someone told me, we know you ain't perfect. <laughs> Why are you going to try to do it, try to prove us that you are? We're also to pray, not to pray proudly. So how do I pray? Verse 6, Jesus says, this is how we do pray. But thou, he calls out the Christian, he calls out the believer, he calls out the follower who is in the crowd. But thou, when thou prayest, And here's a reality that probably doesn't need to be said, but will be said. Christians pray differently than non-Christians. You say, you think non-Christians pray? I think Jesus just told us they do. We pray differently. He said, but you, when you pray, and and Jesus today saying, when you pray, this is how you pray. And this is the most basic Sunday school, vacation Bible school message probably I've ever preached on a Sunday morning but Jesus wants us to practically understand how to pray. But when you pray, pray to your Father which is in secret. And don't miss this, pray to your Father. Only 
a born-again Christian who's been born into the family of God can pray to the Father. And the question of all questions today is not do you pray, but do you have a new father? Have you ever been born again? Have you been adopted into the family of God so that you can call him father and pray to him? Because here's the reality. Once you get a new father, a spiritual father, you'll understand he wants to hear from you just like a father wants to hear from his kids. There's a, there's a relationship that I think we miss sometimes in Scripture of that, that new family, that new father, that call on me because he's a good father, a loving father, a caring father who wants to hear from his kids. If you're not born again, you've never been adopted into the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ, then you can't call on him as father but he wants you to, and he's made available for you the opportunity to be born again so that you can call on him. I'm gonna insert something here that I've said before and I kind of talked about it a little bit last week. I think one of the reasons there is so much, I'll just say mental anguish even in church members and church membership in America because we got a lot of people professing to be something they're not. And they're not able to fully take advantage of the privileges of having a new father, of being in the family of God. And that mental stress, that mental anxiety, that tearing apart that we learned about last week is trying to live two lives and they've never truly been born again. He says, his, this is how you pray. First of all, pray secretly. As opposed to praying openly and publicly so everyone can see you, pray secretly. Enter into, verse six, your closet. And when thou hast shut the door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and the Father which sees in secret shall reward you openly. Unlike these hypocrites that were praying publicly, he says, go into your closet. That word closet means a private room or chamber. What it meant what it was referring to is some Old Testament even where they actually had a room that was um, no windows, it was a door, it was one entry in, one entry out, and you would go in there and pray. This was the word for chamber, or really it means private room. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have a private chamber. Now, if you wanna build a new house and build your private chamber, that's fine, but it doesn't mean that's the only place to pray. What he's talking about is giving the example or uh, explaining how we're to pray, which is privately free of distractions. Doesn't mean that you can't pray anywhere. It doesn't mean that you can't pray in solitude somewhere else, that you've gotta be in a chamber. Remember Daniel? Daniel went and prayed three times a day just as he always had, and he went into it, and the Bible says that his windows were up. Jesus prayed often. We see it in scripture, he didn't always go to a private room, but he went somewhere privately, he went somewhere secluded, he went somewhere secretly separated from distractions. Have you heard that word again yet? Mark chapter one, in the morning rising up great before the day, he went out and departed into, the Bible says in Mark one, a solitary place and prayed there. This is so obvious and so practical, but may we not miss it. Yes, you can pray publicly. Yes, you can pray corporately, 
But God's desire for every Christian is to have a private, secluded, uninterrupted, no distractions time of prayer. And now's a good time to sit for a while and think practically, how can I do that? Because we live in the most distractive, distracting time in American history. Now, I'm pretty transparent most, sometimes to a fault. But I hope this helps somebody because I'm easily distracted. Quit smiling. These things are great, but they're also of the devil, right? And you can have notifications for all 635 apps you've got on your phone. Now, some of you need to get your grandkids to tell you how to turn those notifications off. I'm not talking about turning the volume off. I mean turn those notifications off because, you know, it just snowed in, you know, wherever. Well, you don't live there. Why do you care? So you can turn those things off. And some of you are learning today for the first time. Uh, ESPN has a notification. You can turn it off so you don't hear in the middle of church. But if we're going to be men and women of prayer, the way God, the way Jesus taught us to pray. This is so simple, but I hope, we, I hope we do something about this. We've got to have a time or some times where it's just us and him. Yeah. This is gonna sound real preachy, but if anybody deserves our undivided attention, yeah. it's the creator and sustainer. I say this, and I'm holding this phone, and I'm trying to preach a message, and I got people... But, you know, I expect that out of them. So because I'm easily distracted, I'm going to put this behind me for the remainder of the service. This is not just a passage for preachers. This is a passage that Jesus taught to believers. And some of you are looking at me like this is the simplest, dumbest thing I've ever heard. But you know I'm telling you the truth. That if you don't intentionally, intentionally with discipline, Create a place free of distractions, you will be distracted. And this is a principle that Jesus taught. You need to come to him secretly. You need to come to him privately. It needs to be one-on-one with you and him. And you say, but I've got a wife, or I've got a husband, and I've got kids, and I've got dogs, and I've got phones, and I've got stuff. I know. We've got to discipline ourselves to make time for God. It's not me saying it not me fussing. It's Jesus saying, hey, here he is. Y'all want to know how to pray? You got to come privately. You got to come secretly. Remember last week when I was kind of rambling and I said, I remember the days where somebody would say, you know, call on, well, if anybody can reach the throne of God, this guy can. I know why they said that. It wasn't because they had easier access than us. It was because that person, that man or woman, was a man or woman of God that had spent time privately with God so they were ready to pray publicly when the time came. And almost every, or I would say every Christian leader in America that we are aware of that has done what we would consider great things for God, truly genuine great things for God, they were people of prayer, just them and God. 
I, I talk about Jerry Falwell a lot because I was privileged to know him and spend some time close up and personal and, and followed from a distance and saw what happened. But I can promise you, Jerry Falwell prayed more before the sun came up than most people will pray in a week. Just him and God. And you can probably say that about somebody you followed. Billy Graham was a man of prayer. Say, well, they accomplished a lot. They did a lot. And I think about this now. You think about your leader that you're thinking of. Did they not have distractions? More than we could ever dream of, but they made it a point to find time. Now, let's not build up these men into gods. Let's think about Jesus. You want to talk about somebody that couldn't go anywhere without paparazzi, it's Jesus. He was busy. He had a lot of distractions. But yet he would make it a point, oh, here's the convicting part for the pastor, to get up early in the morning when everybody else was sleeping or everybody else was doing their own thing, going to eat breakfast. And he'd go to the woods alone and pray to the Father. We can do it, church. You can do it. Quit, quit letting the excuses run through your mind right now because I, I feel it. You don't know it. And who are you that you're so busy you don't have time for God? And you gotta throw it away. You gotta put it away. I'm gonna talk to myself and you're going to, some of you will get the residuals. You can't put it within earshot of hearing it vibrate. Because if you're like me, it's like, oh my goodness, that's got to be the most important text I've ever had in my life. I've got to go find out who's calling me now. <laughs> I'm serious. I've had to do it. I, I, got, I got all kind of ADDs and H's and D's and stuff. I mean, I, I, I got stuff in my office at home and, and I'll just start. And it's, it had just like it's been there. It's like, I love that cuckoo clock. That is the coolest cuckoo clock in town. Oh, I wonder when I got that book. Where'd that book come from? You have to discipline yourself. Is he not worth it? Is that quality time with God not worth it? And maybe, just maybe, we're not getting the answers to our prayers. Maybe, just maybe, we're not seeing the results of the investments of prayer because we're not spending the quality time with him, we should. You shouldn't amen that. That was, the right, that was the right choice. When you get some free time, just look up stats from sources that we trust, conservative Christian sources, of the people that respond to their prayer life, that call themselves Christians. It's staggering. And that's assuming they're telling the truth. And a lot of them probably lie because they know it's going to be bad. And it's still bad. And then we wonder why God's not doing great and mighty things, which we know not. When he says, call on me, and I'll answer you, and I'll show you those great and mighty things. We need to pray secretly. Verse 7, we need to pray sincerely. But when we pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. Vain repetitions, and it actually translate to our English word babble. The repetition there is babble. And important, it's not, he's not saying don't pray repetitiously. 
He's not saying don't pray persistently. The word in the King James is uh, prayers of importunity. You remember when Jesus gave the, the example of the parable of the guy who needed something and he needed some bread and he goes to his friend's house and he knocks on the door and the friend's like, leave me alone. Y'all know that parable, it's a fun one, it's in Luke chapter 11. Uh, but anyway, he's, um, he knocks on the door and the friend's like, leave me alone, I'm sleeping. He's like, and he keeps knocking, it's the prayer of importunity. He says that the guy gave him bread not because he was a friend, because he just kept pestering him. And then Jesus goes on and says, knock and it shall be answered. Seek and you shall find. Keep asking, keep doing it. So he's not saying don't ask persistently. He's saying don't just get up and run your mouth. And we've all seen it. And if we're honest, we've probably all been a little guilty. I'm gonna throw in God a big word today. I'm gonna really impress him with this word. Wait till he hears this. Or, boy, if he calls me up to pray, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show that church just how smart I am. Yeah, y'all can laugh and some of you can turn around and be real. We've all been there. Some of us have heard people pray and we're like, I don't even know what they said. I hope God got it. This is what he's saying. They got up and they used these um, vain repetitions. They said the same thing over and over and over, and it was somehow to please God, as we'll look at in just a second. We're to pray sincerely. Definitely pray persistently. Remember Paul? He prayed three times for this thorn in the flesh to be removed. It's all right to keep praying. But it's not all right just to say the same old thing, just to say the same old thing. And please don't get so down there, we're like, well, what about, now I'll lay me down to sleep. What about, you know, bless this food, bless this meat, praise the Lord, let's eat. It, I mean, it just depends on your age. And if you say that at lunch at Logan's, you need to get saved. But if your three-year-old says it, we all laugh and say, oh, we're teaching him to pray. Jesus prayed often. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? The Bible says that he prayed the first time, he prayed the second time, and he prayed the third time the same thing to God. So please don't hear that we shouldn't be persistent. He's really just talking about being sincere. We're not getting up there trying to please God with our vain babblings, of, um, pointless, ritual-like words. We're to pray secretly, to pray sincerely, and we're to pray simply. They pray those big words and those vain repetitious because verse seven says, they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. I think it's fair to say we've all prayed short prayers and we've all prayed long prayers. Certainly God's not saying you need a time limit on your prayers. But what he's saying is that they've convinced themselves that we're somehow going to please God by our big words, our flowery language, our academic, scholarly, theological words. Really, they were just trying to please man. Much speaking. God doesn't need to hear a lot of words. He simply needs to hear what we need. Verse 8 says, don't be likened to them. Why? You don't have to say all that. You don't have to just keep rambling on. Why? Because God already knows what we need. I don't know what you do with that scripture, but 
if I'm honest, I think I've prayed before and I was scared to ask God, so I just kind of built it up for a while and then threw it in. That is a great day. You, you did a good job with the sun today. And, um, man, wish the Panthers could be a little better, but while we're at it, um, throw something in. And he says, no, get to the point. I already know what you need. I just need you to know what you need and know that I can help you with that. If you've got kids, you've experienced this. They want something. They need something. But they just can't get to the point. And at some point, you say, just tell me what you need. I've got an example, but I don't want to embarrass him, but recently my son did similar, and he's perfect. He's never made any mistakes, and um, he's as close to perfect as, he's more perfect than any of your sons, I'm going to just tell you that. <laughs> but no, and um, he was so honest and transparent about it, but I knew what he was going to ask, but it just kept going on, and I let him, and maybe God does that too, until he gets to the point, point. and then he asked, it wasn't a need, it was a want, but he asked, and I think we do that with God sometimes, and he's saying, you know, I already know you, I know what you need, I knew before you bowed your head and closed your eyes what you need, just tell me what you need. Your father already knows how to pray, how not to pray, and Jesus has taught us. Don't miss the reality that both of them received their reward. It's a whole sermon, but I'm going to use it as a conclusion. He says in verse 5, don't be like them. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. You know what the reward of the hypocrite's prayer was? They got it. Everybody saw them. That was what they wanted. They did it, and they prayed out loud. They prayed flowery words. They did it on the street corner. They did it so everybody could see them. And it says, to be seen of men. And Jesus says, don't worry about them. They got what they wanted. And I don't know about you, but I've never met any man that could do for me what God can do for me. So why would I want to please them? But then he says in verse 6, but when you pray, enter your closet, shut the door, pray to the Father, which sees in secret shall reward thee openly. There's a lot to say here. The, the word openly actually speaks of to be manifest. Don't miss this. That doesn't mean that everything you pray, God will manifest it and make it known and you'll get it. It's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is it will be made known publicly to you personally don't don't miss this please the role or the goal of a hypocrite a pretender was to be seen of men the goal of a believer is to be heard by god When we are assured that we are heard by God, it will be made manifest in our life. It doesn't necessarily mean he's gonna give us that, what we ask for. But when we have the assurance and the peace that he has heard us, it will be manifest. It will be made public. We don't have to worry about anything because we can pray about everything. Well, has God answered that prayer yet? 
Listen to this. No, but he heard it. You, you, you hear and feel the peace that comes in that statement. Has God given you what you've been asking for for two years? No, but I know he's heard it. And because he's heard it, I don't stress about it anymore. I might pray about it again tonight. And it'll be manifest. Not going to worry me. It's not going to bother me. What, you've been praying a long time. God saved him yet? Nope. But he heard me pray it. And that'll be manifest in your life. It'll be made known in your life. As I studied this and was preparing, I couldn't help but think, and only, only you old timers will appreciate this. Robert Fincher, sitting right over there, he was crippled all his life. And he'd sing every once in a while. And one of his favorite staples was in the garden. And he would stand up and he would sing, come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. The voice I hear, sweet and clear. And, all, and here's the question, here's the challenge. Are you and I making time to come to the garden alone? to walk with him, and to talk with him. I have learned when I do, my day is different. I'm being honest. Does that mean you're saying there's days you don't? That means I'm not perfect. <laughs> but when I make time for him, undistracted time for him, don't let me forget that's up there because I'm afraid. <laughs> undistracted time from him, and I walk with him and I talk with him and I get some stuff off my chest that needs to be off my chest and out of my mind. I would be a fool to say my day is not different. And I can only think that if we'd be men and women of prayer daily doing what God has taught us to do, we would be different daily. A little less stress, a little less worry, a little less anxiety, and a whole lot more peace that surpasses all human understanding. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for, again, your word that's so clear. I pray in this simple message that we have been challenged to be men and women of prayer, to be believers who pray. I pray that we've been taught to pray what you expect out of us. No matter what happens in the days to come that we would be intentional about our prayer life. we would call on you knowing that you know us knowing that you know what we need but to persistently demonstrate our reliance on you through our prayer life while we sing I want you to be in a time of prayer and certainly the altars are open 
you feel the need to come to an altar in prayer, but certainly want us to be challenged today. Never think that it's something the preacher is trying to pick on or find a fault. No, God wants us to be men and women of prayer. Jesus took time to teach us to pray. The question is, are we doing it? Are we practicing it the way we should? And once again, if you're here today and you've never been saved, yeah, you can pray. But unless you're praying to receive Christ as your Savior, it's really vain babblings. Today, if you're lost, there would be a, a great day for your first prayer that's heard of God to be asking Him to save you, confessing your sin based on the Scripture that we're born into sin. Believing by faith that Jesus died for your sin, took your place on the cross that we've sung about so much today. Confess him as Lord of your life. My Bible teaches me that if you do that, you'll be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And maybe today while this church is praying, your prayer is just that. God, will you be merciful on me, a sinner, and call on him and be saved today. Would you stand with me? As we sing, as we pray. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.